I'm going to be reading from Ephesians 1 through uh, chapter 1, verses 11 through 14. The focus of our attention will be verse 13. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let us pray. O Lord, may the meditations of our hearts, the words of my mouth, be pleasing in your sight, that we may embrace the word of God, and it may be always on our lips, and we may faithfully understand it and proclaim it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So we are working in verse 13, and that means uh, 14 next week, verse 14. I did have in mind that maybe we could do two verses in one evening, but uh, I, and I intended that, and then I looked at verse 13 and said, no, this is a lot of fun. We, we want to spend more time in 13. So I'm sorry if it seems like we're going at a snail's pace, but um, maybe we'll speed up once we get out of this first part. But for now, just to remind you that we've been dealing with this benediction. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the high heavenlies in, in him. This is, uh, this is what is guiding everything that's happening in this opening uh, of Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Uh, and what he's doing now is he's expanding upon why God is to be praised because of all that he's done for us, all that he's lavished upon us in his kindness according to his great plan that he's executed in Christ Jesus uh, because Christ Jesus is the head of all things. Everything in heaven and earth is headed up in him. He's the center of the universe. Uh, this, this one who came and was born of a woman, this is the one that God has predestined will be preeminent over all creation. Heavens and earth, new creation, this creation, there's nothing uh, where his authority, his power, his glory is not impacted. Uh, he, he is the center of everything. And that, that's, that's what Paul said earlier, and that's where he's now expanding on that. But he's been focusing in verse 12, uh, as we looked at last week. In verse 12, you, you want to read this as, uh, so that we, uh, who were the first to hope in him, so that you have this uh, statement that, it is in him, uh, both we would be for the praise of his glory, we who hoped, first of all, in him, referring to the Jews. And then you have a parallel in verse 13. It's, it's rendered in him, but it could be rendered in whom, in Christ. In whom you also. So in verse 12, it's both we, Jewish people who believed earlier in Christ, would be for the praise of God's glory, 
in bringing the gospel to the Gentiles, as well as you, as well, might in him receive these blessings. And then he expands a little bit on the blessings that you Gentiles have received alongside the Jewish people. So it's, it's both and. The Jewish people have received the same blessings and then they've expanded to us who are not Jewish. Because that's what Paul is meaning when he says, and you as well. Because uh, it, it's very clear when you look in chapter 2, uh, verse 11, he says something that you really don't get from Paul. He says in verse 11 of chapter 2, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called circumcision, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. So it's quite a remarkable statement. Remember, you Gentiles, you were separated from Christ at one time. Now you've been brought near, but don't forget that this is an act of God's grace. He's brought you in alongside his ancient people, the Jewish nation, to bring us into one body uh, before our Father uh, together. So this is the context of this business of uh, both we who hoped ahead of time as well as you uh, as well. So that's, that's uh, verse 13 is now turning to us Gentiles who've been brought in. Uh, so that's, that's the context of what we're doing. He's going to expand on this blessing uh, that now gets uh, off the charts, frankly. So uh, the, this is part of that opening benediction. And there's three statements in here in verse 13. You heard the word of truth, and you believed in him, and you were sealed. So there are three events here. You heard, you believed, and you were sealed. And the interrelation of them is uh, pretty important to understand. Uh, how is it that this uh, hearing and believing relates to sealing? And that's, that's the first question we need to address. So the first thing we're doing is simply looking at how to understand uh, and interpret uh, those three things. Now, in the ESV that I read, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, and believed in him were sealed. Uh, I think that's helpful. I think the idea is the three are really one grand event brought, you know, one combined event that's separated into three elements. There's this hearing and believing and sealing is all really one thing. It's all one complex experience that we have of God working in our lives. And that's the best way to read this. Now, I say that because if you were reading the New King James or the King James, it actually has it this way. After you heard, having believed, you were sealed. So it places faith before being sealed by the Spirit. And that's a problem. 
Um, it's a problem because it's the Spirit who in, allows us to hear. He opens our ears. You know, this is a different uh, image, but it's analogous. It's like the servant of Elisha. You'll recall the servant of Elisha was terrified at one point because there was a great army surrounding, <laughs> surrounding them, and, you know, he's terrified. And then Elisha says, don't be afraid, you know. <laughs> and then he, he prays the Lord will open his eyes. His eyes are open, and on the hills he sees the flaming chariots of the Lord, the great army surrounding him uh, that, you know, this other human army can't contest with. Well, this is, this is what God does for us. He opens our ears so, we, so that we can hear the gospel. Because notice, that's, what, that's the topic here. Verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So it's a fundamental hearing that requires the work of the Spirit. Um, we're going to talk more about that later, but that's, that's biblical truth. The reason why that is, is really stated in chapter 2, verse 1. And you are dead in trespasses and sins. Dead people can't hear. They need to be enlivened. They need to be brought by the Spirit to a place where they can hear and then believe. Uh, and so this is why you want to see here uh, a complex, that there's this hearing and believing that uh, is part of the sealing of the Spirit. It's an operation of the Spirit. Uh, and then he, uh, he does something which is most remarkable. So that's why I take it that way. And I, you know, I know other ways to take it. Uh, and I also know other ways that Paul could have stated this. And I think stating it this way is still pretty clear in the interpretation I'm suggesting to you. Um, now, when he says the word of truth, that, that phrase could mean the true word. That's one way to take that, a uh, word of truth. It's kind of like, uh, I'll never forget when I was uh, a new Christian, I read that Old Testament uh, text, you know, the mountain of his holiness. And I was going, wow, that's really odd. <laughs> I don't know what that means. The mountain of his holiness, you know. Well, it means his holy mountain. <laughs> it's just an, it's a Hebrew way of saying his holy mountain, mountain of his holiness. So they'll use a noun like that to clarify the qualify the other word like an adjective uh, uh, but it's a lot more poetic and wonderful frankly well that's what Paul's doing here this is more poetic and wonderful the word of truth yes it's a true word but I do think he's really talking about the message of the truth the gospel of your salvation see that second phrase clarifies what he means by the first phrase the word of truth namely the gospel of your salvation and you shouldn't, you shouldn't discount the fact that the gospel is true. He's presenting it as the truth. And it's the truth because it's through divine testimony. But more than that, it's the truth that brings you into contact with the Holy Spirit. Now, everything's changed. Now we're on a new plane altogether when the Holy Spirit is involved with your hearing and believing and this word of truth. See, he accompanies the word of truth. 
He accompanies the proclamation of the Gospel. It's His Word. And He drives it home in human hearts. Brothers and sisters, this is why when we have unbelieving family members and we're sometimes we're just around them, and they're looking at us and they know that we're Christians, <laughs> and maybe we say a word about, you know, in church we heard a good, you know, we're doing a good study on this, and, you know, this is... You know, the Sunday school has been really edifying. We're learning about Jesus, born uh, of a woman, you know, risen from the dead. It's really good stuff, you know. Kind of basic, but it's, wow, it's really uh, impressed me by how important that is. And people have believed that for 2,000 years. So you just say that to a family member, and you never know what you're unleashing on them. Because the Holy Spirit, once you start referencing Scripture, the Holy Spirit might be working in their heart to open it up like this clam, you know, opening up this clam. Uh, and this is, this is why we're praying for people, that God would work. Uh, so we can, we can do this confidently. We don't have to, you know, think it's all up to us. And we have to be, you know, have this exalted kind of language or some sort of speech ability. This is, this is uh, it's good, but it's not, it's not everything. This is not what the Spirit uses. Paul says that. I didn't come to you with lofty speech. I came with, uh, preaching to you Christ and Him crucified. But the, the Spirit does something with us through this hearing and faith that is most remarkable. And that's this verb, He's sealed. We were sealed by the a promised Holy Spirit. This is actually that same idiom. It's the Spirit of promise, the Holy One. That's how it reads in the original. The Spirit of promise, the Holy One. And the word promise there is the promised Spirit. Uh, this, is, this is His, uh, this is true of Him. He was promised to us. And He seals us. And this sealing is... Uh, really important for us to understand on a number of on a number of levels and for a number of reasons. First of all, a seal is a pretty common thing in the ancient world. Uh, so one of the uh, one thing that you can find online, and you know, I read about this years ago, and actually saw it in a book. So I know those are antique things, but I, I used to use books. Uh, and this. There's a seal from uh, Akkad, you know, Akkadian seal. And what it is, it's a, it's a roller. So it's a tube, you know, it's a stone tube. What they would do is they would carve the negative on this stone and make a little image on it uh, in this stone tube. Then they would roll it in soft, wet clay. So they roll this thing, and then you'd get the positive image as a result of that. So it was a seal that you would roll for an official document, because they would use these clay uh, tablets for their documents. Well, and one of them is really quite interesting. It pictures a tree with fruit, and on either side are two figures. It's really it's crude enough that you can't tell whether they're both men, but it could be that one's a man and one's a woman sitting there waiting to pick this fruit, and on the side is a snake. <laughs> and you have to wonder if there's a memory 
represented on that clay seal. This is not from Israel, you know. This is from the world, but this is from the part of the world where the memory of that may jolly well be there. Who knows? Another example of this seal is Tamar, uh, the daughter-in-law of Judah. When he goes into her, she uh, takes his seal and his staff as part of the, you know, the earnest, the guarantee that he'll pay the price. So this is Genesis 38. Uh, so seals were pretty well known. And what do you do with a seal? Well, there's basically two functions of a seal. The first one is found in Revelation 5. You have a scroll that's sealed up with seven seals. And what it does is it closes it. So it's a scroll rolled up. You put seven seals on it. It keeps it from unrolling. Uh, Daniel 12.9, the words are shut up and sealed. So it, it closes something up. It, it seals it so that you can't unroll it. You have in Gen- Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And that could be the same meaning there. You were sealed for the day of redemption. In other words, you're guarded. You, you, the, the Holy Spirit has set a guard on you for the day of redemption so that you now are protected by the Holy Spirit sealing. He, he, he closes you up so that you're protected and can't unravel. Sometimes our lives feel like we unravel, but the seal of the Spirit pre- prevents that. It's possibly what's meant there in Ephesians 4.30. But the second meaning is probably the one here. Uh, well, it is the one here. And that is, the seal here is an authentication. You use a seal to show that this is your document. So if you had a last will and testament, you would put a seal on there. Now today we use a notary public, who by the way have a seal, uh, and you know a mark that's an official seal, basically. And what it does is it authenticates that this is actually your document. This is not somebody else's. So you use a seal to confirm the ownership uh, of an authentication of something. So John 6, 27, John 6, 27, do not labor for the food that perishes, for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. So the Father has set his seal on the Son so that you know when he tells you he will give you food that endures to eternal life, the Father will guarantee that the Son's word will be kept. His, his eternal life that comes through the Son is guaranteed by the King of all creation, the Father, who has all authority in heaven and earth also alongside the Son. So here you have uh, the seal being used for authentication. Uh, and that's what we have here, uh, is this sealing of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit authenticates us and guarantees us You actually find that word guarantee in the next verse, uh, which we'll deal with next week. Notice verse 13, referring to the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. He's the guarantee. He he seals us and guarantees us that we uh, are authentically God's. Here, 2 Corinthians 1, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, 
and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 to 22. We are sealed by the spirit, uh, in the spirit, excuse me. We are sealed in the spirit. Now, that's what he says in verse 13. You believed in him and were sealed. Now it says with the promised spirit, which is fine. You could also render that in the promised spirit, in the spirit of promise. And the reason why that's important is you were sealed and it's God who's doing the sealing in the spirit. In the same way that God is acting in Christ on us, because it's in him you were sealed. Also, it's in the spirit. So it's a Trinitarian operation. See, verse 13 opens with Christ. In him, you were sealed. In the spirit, you were sealed. And it's from the Father. You have the Father's authenticating mark on you through the spirit. Having the Holy Spirit means that you are authenticated as his. You belong to him. He has claimed you as his own. And he he sets his seal on you to guarantee to us that you belong to him and he belongs to us. This is the great covenant promise and the Holy Spirit is the one who brings that to us. We have a seal that's not like clay. It's not like wax that will melt or be destroyed. We have a sealing from in the Holy Spirit himself. He's the living one, the one who brings life from the dead. This is what he's done for us. Now, it's, it's very easy at this point to think to yourself, sealing, yeah. Isn't baptism a sign and seal of the righteousness of faith? Romans 4. Isn't a seal of the covenant of grace? Yeah, that's what this is. So yes, this is an act where the sacrament pictures and seals that reality. Uh, so that baptism is an outward sign and seal of the reality of what the Holy Spirit is doing when we hear and believe. And then he seals us. So you look at your baptism as the divine evidence that you belong to him. You have confessed his name and you have believed in him. So you have testimony from God in your baptism that you belong to him. You may have some doubts at times. Perish those doubts. Drive them away and look to what God has provided for you in your sealing uh, to authenticate to you that you genuinely belong to him. It's testimony from God. This is why we baptize publicly. It's divine testimony in the presence of God that you belong to him and he belongs to you. 1 Corinthians 12, Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So in the Lord's day, when you say, I believe in Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, the, only, the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus is Lord, you are doing that because of the Holy Spirit's sealing of you because of his work in you that you might hear and believe. This is the testimony from God, that you, you confess Jesus is Lord 
through the Holy Spirit. This is the evidence you have. Now, there's a large wing of churches in America that want to see us speaking in tongues or doing other things. By the way, I don't, I don't think tongues is the right translation. Foreign languages, that's all it means. Uh, and, you know, well, that's another sermon. <laughs> okay. But, uh, and I speak as a former Pentecostal, so, you know, been there, done that. Uh, but I have to tell you that, brothers and sisters, he's not going to do it. This is, this is not what he requires of us. What he requires of us is to profess his name. Jesus is Lord through the Spirit. This is what he enables us to do. If you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, Romans 10. This is, this is the reality of the Holy Spirit in our midst. You don't have to have any other testimony other than that, your profession of faith, granted to you by the power of God. And brothers and sisters, where you have the Holy Spirit, you have new creation. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's because you're part of the new creation. You've been caught up into heaven. And the new work that God is working in Christ, the King of all creation, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, he says. The kingdom of God has been inaugurated with his resurrection. And you are a part of that. And the evidence is the Holy Spirit, the one who raised Christ from the dead in new creation, has been given to you as a seal of that. And, and he projects into your life the reality of new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new, crea- a new creation. You are, you're God's own workmanship. Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship. We're the product of his own working. Created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You have the seal of God for that, that you are the product of his own working. He's fashioning you again, like he did originally with Adam, out of the dust of the earth. But he's fashioning you through the spirit of new stuff, stuff which will endure forever, incorruptibility in resurrection glory. That is what you are sealed for, brothers and sisters. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. We thank you, Almighty God, our Lord. You have given us hope and life from the dead. You've given us of your Holy Spirit that we may partake in life. O Lord, grant that we may more and more glorify you, and we may know in our hearts your Spirit's presence in us, that we may glorify you We may not grieve him, but please him and you, our great Father, who's given us so many benefits in Christ Jesus. We praise and bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen.